0: Amen, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Last week, we began a new series entitled The Wise Stewards. Our theme verse is verse 9 of chapter 3. We're looking at that verse and really the context around it. So really... If you're keeping notes, Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 is the main passage for this series. But we began by looking at the first part of verse 9 last week, where we read that we are to honor the Lord with our possessions. To honor the Lord with our possessions. Now, according to most translations, and most likely your translation, it says, with our wealth. We are to honor the Lord with our wealth. Jesus would put it this way. We are to be rich back towards God. Now, what does that mean? Well, for starters, wealth, in this context, refers to anything in our possession. Hence, possessions. It can mean the dollars and cents in our pockets or bank accounts or investments, our money and resources. It can mean the hours, minutes, or seconds of our days, our time. Or the spouse, the children, our friends, our relationships, the house, the car, the toys, our possessions. We're to honor the Lord with all that we say is ours. Honor, meanwhile, in the context of the proverb, does not mean what we might initially think it means. The word carries with it the idea of heaviness or weightiness, it means to carry a weight or a load or a burden. The imagery really is simple. We are to put the entire load of everything we possess on the Lord. We're to transfer the whole weight onto Him. Just like children that transfer their weight onto their parent for a piggyback ride, so we are to transfer the weight of everything in our possession onto God. And you might say, well, why would we do that? Because what the Scripture is saying is that we must first and foremost acknowledge a foundational timeless truth it all belongs to God already everything and everyone belong to the Lord our resources time relationships our very selves all of it belong first and foremost to the Lord everything we have was given to us by him a gift In other words, as we saw, we are not owners, we're stewards. We're not owners, we are stewards. A steward, which is a kind of fancy old English kind of term, is a person who oversees, governs, or manages another's property or financial affairs. Consider, for example, the beginning of creation. In Genesis, we discover that humanity, which was created by... And made by God was to work the land, which was created and made and given by God. We were to take care of it, as we see in Genesis chapter 2. That is, humans were to be stewards of God's world. This is why the Lord later says, Listen, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. I don't need your money or your possessions. Why? Because every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Literally, he says in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Therefore, in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord warns us, he says, listen, you may say at some point in your life, You may say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, you may tell yourself, the wealth in my hands is mine. It's all mine. and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Yet remember who gave you the wealth. Remember who gave you all that you have and the ability to get all that you have. Remember that you're not an owner, you're a steward. And you're to be a wise steward, not a foolish one. Wisdom comes, and Proverbs is full of talking about wisdom. It comes when we acknowledge first and foremost that everything belongs to the Lord. Wisdom comes when we honor Him with our wealth. Folly or foolishness comes when we falsely believe that everything belongs to us. So it follows then that being a wise steward comes when we steward what He has given us in the way He wants us to steward it, remembering it's His to begin with. Being a foolish steward comes when we steward what He has given us in the way we want to steward it, falsely believing it's ours to begin with. So all this begs the question, Are we honoring the Lord with our wealth? Are we stewarding our resources, time, and relationships wisely or foolishly? Are we doing with our wealth what he's asked us to do with our wealth? Are we the wise steward or the foolish steward? In answering that question, we might ask, how do we know? Well, how we know is by looking at what we do with the best part. How we know is by looking, at least initially, at what we do with the best part of our resources, time, and relationships. Now, we're going to look at time and relationships in the next couple of weeks, but today we're going to focus on the best part of our resources. What do we do with the best part of our resources? And we're talking specifically money here, for those of you who want to cringe this morning, all right? The money that comes into our pocket into our possession, maybe by way of paycheck, maybe by way of investment returns, maybe by way of refunds or inheritance or allowance or bonuses, however it gets into our possession. The question is, what do we first do with it? What do we first do with the best part? Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. We've looked at that. But that he continues. Honor the Lord with the best part of everything you produce. Some of your translations might say the first fruits. In other words, the the very first thing you're to do is to honor the Lord with those first fruits, with the best part of everything that comes into your possession. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with the best part of everything you produce. Verse 10, then the Lord will fill your barns with grain. Then, he will, then your vats or your barrels will overflow with wine or good wine. Now, many years, many years before these words were written in Proverbs, God showed up in Abraham's life. And God tested Abraham, and God said, Abraham. And Abraham said, hey, what's up? Here I am. I'm here, Lord. God said, take your son. Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as an offering. And you can read this whole story in Genesis 22. So God shows up. He says to Abraham, Honor me with your wealth, with the best part of that which you possess. Bring me, Abraham, your most valuable possession, your long-awaited-for promised son, who, by the way, is the very key to your family's success, to your fortune, to your future. And Abraham, give him to me. Offer him up to me. Lay him down as a sacrifice for me. Give me the best part of that which you possess. Yes, Abraham, honor me with the wealth that I have given you. Give me the best part of your family, the best part of your fortune, the best part of your future. And put him on the table. The command seems unreasonable, impossible, ridiculous. So what does Abraham do? He says, okay, I'll do it. He surrenders and steps. And he puts the best part of all that he possesses on the table. And this best part represents the whole part. It represents everything. He didn't just bring something. He brought everything. Because again, this is like Abraham's family. Wrapped up in Isaac is his fortune, is his future. It's everything. And Abraham honors the Lord with it all, and he says, It's all yours, Lord. I'm bringing you the best part. Now hear me on this. Abraham's external actions revealed his internal beliefs. His external actions proved his intellectual convictions that everything and everyone belonged to the Lord. First and foremost, even my only son. Thus, as a faithful, wise steward, Abraham honored the Lord with his wealth, and Abraham brought the best part, and he said with his words and his actions, it's all yours. He transferred the weight of everything and everyone in his possession onto the Lord. So as we keep reading, he is then there on this mountain. His son is before him on the table. His knife is ready. I can only imagine the anguish, the turmoil, the twisted knots, the shaking of the hand. But then in his moment of complete surrender, of complete trust, in that moment of faith, the Lord shows up and says, Abraham, stop. Don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God. I have seen that you have not withheld your son, your only son. You have not withheld from me the best part. So then Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered the ram up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Which, by the way, this is a huge foreshadow to Jesus. We sin, we deserve death, we deserve to lay on the the table to be crucified for our sins. But God laid down his one and only son in our place. He gave us not just something, he gave us everything. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And from there, the Lord said, Abraham, because you've done this, because you've been obedient, because your actions have matched your internal convictions, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will now surely bless you, and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, because you have obeyed my voice. So God shows up directs Abraham to do something that initially seems entirely unreasonable, impossible, ridiculous. You gave me this wealth. This is the son you gave me. And now you want me to bring the best part of this wealth back to you. But Abraham trusted in God with his whole heart. He leaned not on his own understanding. In all his ways, not just in part of his ways or some of his ways, but in all his ways, he acknowledged God. He was not wise in his own eyes. He honored God with all that was given to him by God in the first place, by sacrificing, by not withholding the best part. He honored the Lord with his wealth, by transferring the weight of his wealth onto the Lord's table. It's all yours. And God did three things as a result. He provided... He blessed, he multiplied. He provided, he blessed, and he multiplied the wealth. For many of us, God is waiting to provide, bless, and multiply. But first, he's waiting for us to actually surrender in step. To actually bring not just something, but everything. To actually start honoring him with our wealth, with the best part. Because here in Proverbs 3, the Lord is saying... In essence, the same thing that what he did with Abraham. Honor me with your wealth. Honor me with the best part of everything and everyone in your life. Honor me with all that I've given you, and then your barns will be full. Then your vats or your barrels will be bursting with new good wine. In other words if you will just bring it all to me, if you will just transfer the weight onto the table, if you would just trust in me with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge me, if you would not be wise in your own eyes, if you would just honor me with all that has been given to you by me in the first place, by not withholding the best part, if you would just bring it all to me, the best part of your family, fortune, future, all of it, then I would provide for you, I would bless you, I would multiply the wealth for you. That's what the Lord says. The question is, are we by faith, by wisdom, by trust, are we surrendering and stepping forward and putting it all on the table? Are we honoring God with the wealth he's given us by surrendering with open arms, with open hands, with open hearts, the best part? Or are we foolishly withholding it from him See, we may have a lot of intellectual convictions in this room. Convictions that say, yeah, it's all His. We may say, hey, I internally believe it is all His. We may say amen to that. But if that's us, if that's you and if that's me saying that, then we must then ask, do our actions match what we say are our convictions? Because actions will reveal true beliefs. Actions will reveal true convictions. Just like with Abraham. What do our actions say about us as a steward of the resources God has entrusted to us? Do our actions say we are wise or foolish? Now before we answer that, think about these statistics because analytics reveal numbers. Numbers tend to never lie. Statistics reveal that seven out of ten of us are living paycheck to paycheck, regardless of income. Meaning, if I make a million a year or a hundred bucks a year, if I lose my next paycheck, seven out of ten of us, we're in trouble. And by the way, that's true of an individual. That can be true of a family. That can be true of a church. That can be true of a nation. Statistics reveal that we spend gobs of money, money galore, on vacations, cars, phones, tablets, TVs, entertainment, sports, our children's extracurricular, whatever, food, houses, toys. Not long ago, Larry Burkett, is a big name in the financial world, he said, over the last many years, giving overall in Christianity has increased by, by about 20%. He said, but recreational spending increased almost 125%. And debt spending increased 550%. Burkett said that only 3% of Christians tied today. Now let's say he's wrong by like 10%. 13%. Maybe 10%. If he's off by about 7 10%, then 1 out of 10 tied today. And they found that nearly 40% of evangelical churchgoers, those who say, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, my internal convictions are this, my internal beliefs are that, nearly 40% of them don't give at all in a given year. Meaning, on a good day, only 10% of us are bringing the best part, and nearly 40% of us aren't bringing any part. Which, by the way, is in great contrast to the early church. As we read in places like Acts 2 and Acts 4, it's not that they were debating whether or not they ought to tithe or how much a tithe ought to be. They literally, like Abraham, had open hands, arms, and hearts and said, it's all God's. Some were literally selling houses and fields. They said, it's all God's. We bring the best part to Him. We bring the whole part to Him. 10%. Nearly 40%. So, let me put this into a visual of what the numbers reveal about what we're actually doing, the majority of us. So, Picture this apple as our resources. It could be your paycheck, could be your investment returns, could be your savings, could be all of it. Consider this apple as your resources. This could be $100, this could be $100 million. The size of the apple is beside the point. It's about what we're doing with the apple that matters. According to the analytics, this is what we're doing. We get our Apple, and maybe we consider bringing the best part to God, or maybe, 40% of us, we don't consider it at all. But either way, most of us, we get our Apple, and then we tell ourselves, man, the newest iPhone just dropped. I got to have it. And so we take a bite out of the apple. Now, I've done an illustration like this before, and I've actually bitten out of the apple, and I'm just going to save you from that, all right? But we take a bite out of the apple. Man, did you see that new car? Did you see that commercial of that new car? I got to have it. Yeah, but it's going to cost you like 450 bucks a month because you can't afford it. Yeah, I'll make it do, right? I need it. So we take a bite. Man, they just raised the rates on my streaming platform. If I don't want commercials, I got—I can't have commercials. So we take a bite. Man, that vacation is so needed. Yeah, but it's like it'll cost you ten thousand dollars to go to that paradise on earth. Yeah, but I so deserve it. So we take a bite. I need that nineteen-dollar coffee. We take a bite. I need those clothes, those shoes, those accessories, those toys. I gotta, gotta, gotta get me, get me, get me. And we take another bite and then another and then another and we just keep biting it off. Man, I just need a night out on the town. I need some restaurant dining. I need that movie. I need those refreshments. Another bite. Then come the bills and more entertainment and the kids' wants and their desires and, oh, we need a bigger this and a back bigger that. Oh, we need that toy for the yard. Another bite and another bite and another bite. And none of that is wrong in and of itself. Matter of fact, you may handle your money in such a way that you say you can afford just all that. It's no big deal. What's wrong is that most of us have our priorities out of whack despite what we say our beliefs and convictions are. And so by the end of the biting game with the apple, the resources God has given us, what's left, if we have anything left at all, is this nasty, shriveled up core. And we have the audacity to come before the Lord and plop it down And say, I know you said, honor me with the best part, but that's all I got for you. And then we wonder why we've never seemed to have enough of what we need. Always playing catch up, always living paycheck to paycheck, always feeling like our money is cursed. There's always a problem. We never catch a break, we never have enough. Always behind, always trying to catch up. It's the government's fault. It's the the man upstairs' fault. Always thinking, man, when will this dollar actually multiply? When am I going to get rich enough to do enough? But as the scriptures say, he who loves money, which our culture loves money, will never be satisfied with money. Nor will he who loves wealth be satisfied with his income. Or elsewhere, all day long, fools crave and crave and bite and bite, but the wise, they give and they don't hold back. See, we must consider for a moment that maybe, just maybe, we have falsely believed or foolishly believed that this apple was ours to begin with. That we foolishly told ourselves, I can, man, and I should do whatever I want with my apple. I worked hard for it. I earned it. I produced it. But the Lord is telling us, remember who gave you the apple. Remember who gave you the ability to grow the apple. Remember who owns the apple orchard and the land it grows from. Not you. You're not an owner. You're a steward. And the wise steward knows this. The wise steward acknowledges this. The wise steward actually believes this and seeks to do with the apple what the owner wants done with the apple. To handle it, to manage, govern, steward it wisely. Now sometimes our honest response to this so often is, yeah, but... And the entire context of these two verses in Proverbs 3 are like the answers to our objections to bringing the best part to God and not withholding it. We might say, yeah, but what if I can't afford with my circumstances and conditions, what if I can't afford to put it all on the table? I mean, come on, it's going to affect my family, it's going to affect my fortune, it's going to affect my future like Abraham trusts. Trust in the Lord. Yeah, but I want that shiny new gadget now. Don't despise discipline. In other words, what the proverb is saying, grow up. Quit acting like children in a candy store. But this is how I ought, or this is how I should. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Yeah, okay, but what if I can just acknowledge him with that core, just something? No, in all your ways, acknowledge him with everything. In other words, be wise stewards. Be wise stewards. Let, let me finish with this. I, I love hearing about robberies gone bad. You, you might call them foolish thieves. Take, for example, this true story that took place in the state of Maryland. Years ago, a robber entered a bank. Quietly walks up to the teller. He hands the teller a note, and on the note is demanding cash. He's got all sorts of threats on there. He's got this, that, or the other, and if she doesn't get him the money, you know, he'll do all this. And so the teller gets the note and actually honors the note, gets him the cash, gets him the money, hands it to him, and the robber runs away. Well, he was amazed to find the police were waiting for him when he got home. Because it turns out he had written the notes on the back of his personal bank deposit slip. (laughs) Had his name, had his address, had his phone number. (laughs) But this thief does not quite compare to the one in Florida. An elderly woman... Was doing her shopping at the grocery store. She finishes up, she goes out to her car in the parking lot, and there she found four men, young men, in the act of stealing her car, leaving the parking lot with her car. She's beside herself, she drops her shopping bags, pulls out her handgun that she always carried, and she screamed, I have a gun. I know how to use it. Get out of the car. The four young men, they did not hang around. They didn't wait for a second. They get out and they ran away. So the older woman, she's so deeply shaken, puts the handgun up, everything. She gets her bag. She loads them into the car. She gets into the driver's seat. And then just suddenly, she's just shaking, but then suddenly shock overcomes her she suddenly realized it wasn't her car. (laughs) A A few minutes later, she found her own car parked about five spaces down, which also happened to look very similar to their car. She loaded her bags into the car. She drove to the police station to report the mistake. The sergeant, to whom she told the story, could not stop laughing. She said, what are you laughing about? He pointed to the other end of the counter where four pale young men were reporting a carjacking by a mad elderly woman described as less than five feet tall, glasses, curly white hair, and carrying a large handgun. But don't worry, no charges were filed. See, (laughs) too many of us who love Jesus and follow Jesus, we have a gun pointed at Jesus, and we're shouting with audacity and boldness and foolishness. Back away from my resources. Get away from my resources. I'll do with it what I want, how I want, when I want. I could care less what you say about it. When in actuality, it's God's resources, not yours. See, it's foolishness for us to try and rob from God what is his In Malachi 3, the Lord says, "I, I don't change. Listen, my people, from the days of your fathers, your ancestors, you've turned aside from my commands and you haven't kept them. Just return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you say to me, well, how shall we return? And the Lord responds, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? Come on, we haven't robbed you. You've robbed me in your tithes and contributions, meaning you haven't honored me with your wealth, with the best part of your produce. Therefore, you are cursed with a curse. Never able to get ahead. Always problems. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you, not just one of you, all of you. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Lay it all on the table. So that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test of the Lord of hosts, if I will not then open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In other words, if you want to draw near to me, if you want to be like Abraham, then honor me with your wealth, with the best part, bring it to me. And if you do this, if you're obedient as Abraham was, then I will provide, I'll bless, I'll multiply. Your barns will be full. You'll have all that you need. Your vats will be filled with new, good wine blessings. But if you don't, if you don't change your mindset, if you don't change your devotion, if you don't change your behavior, then you'll just keep craving and never having. Your money will continue to feel like it's cursed. Problems galore, never getting ahead. And this is true, again, not just of individuals, but of families, of cultures, of communities, of nations. We must listen to what Jim Elliot said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now again, this isn't an overnight thing. It's not a get rich scheme thing. It's not, hey, if I do this, I'll be more and more prosperous and wealthy and all will go perfectly well for me. What the Lord is saying is that those who lose their life for him Who open their hands, their arms, their hearts, and say, it's all yours. Internally and externally do this. Whether they have much or little, that's beside the point. But those who surrender it all will actually find their life. They'll save their life. Those who surrender everything to Him will, in the end, have everything. This instead is a watch what the Lord does... And you can ask anybody who has followed through on this when you begin to honor him with your wealth, with your life, by bringing the best part and putting it on the table and saying, This part is yours, the whole part is yours. If you do that, he'll provide, bless, and multiply. But you have to change your mindset. It's all his, it's all his. You have to change your devotion, put him first. You have to change your behavior. Look at how it's going out your hands. Obey, honor him with all that you say is yours. By first and foremost, bringing the best part to him, putting it all on the table, everything. Everything. So, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We're going to have this time of response. And some of us, if we look at ourselves, we look at our marriage maybe, our family or whatever it is, we can honestly sit there and say, man, we have not been honoring or I have not been honoring the Lord with my wealth, with the best part, with the first fruits of all that he's given me. But what are you holding on to that you have to lay on the table this morning? What, what does your hand have to let go of? What does your arms have to let go of? What does your heart have to let go of? Simple, just trust and obey. you got to change your mindset. It's all his. You've got to change your devotion. you got to put him first. You've got to change your behavior. And if you do this, he said, provide, bless, multiply. I'll take care of you. You'll have peace. You'll be weird in comparison to the culture. So for some of us, he's just literally calling us like Abraham to surrender and step. Maybe it's that possession. Maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's that hour or time in your life. Maybe it's whatever you've been giving those resources to. Maybe it's your very life. And he says, give me everything. Give me everything. Whatever that looks like for you, even as I pray, if you need to come talk to myself or Weston will be down here. If you want to come just pray on these steps, you can. But even as I pray, you come. Father, help us to surrender and step. Help us to trust in you. To acknowledge you in all of our ways. To lean not on our own understanding. To acknowledge you and everything. Help us not to despise discipline. Help us to be obedient. Help us to learn the word no. Help us to be unlike our culture. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be like the faith of Abraham. Help us to surrender all of it and lay it on the table and say it's yours. Help our actions match what we say are our internal convictions. Whatever we got to let go of, help us to surrender. And if it's our very life, help us to surrender. To your glory, in Christ's name I pray. And I ask that you stand with us. We'll be down here for this time of response. If you need to come forward, West and myself will be down here if you need to come talk to us.